Welcome to SNAP, survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities. This educational recovery podcast is presented by Claremont Mental Health and Mandy Friedman, licensed professional clinical counsellor. This presentation contains vital information for survivors of abuse. Topics include the spectrum of abusive personalities, targets of abuse, abusive relationships, and survivors in recovery. We hope this information helps you gain solid footing and clarity as you navigate your road to recovery. everyone, Mandy Friedman here, licensed professional clinical counselor, clinically certified domestic violence counselor, clinically certified trauma professional, the creator of SNAP, survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities, and the owner of Claremont Mental Health. <gasps> oh, got it. I'm here today with Leah Abel. Hi, Leah. Hi, Mandy. <laughs> Thanks for doing this video <laughs> with me. So <laughs> Leah is on staff here at Claremont Mental Health, and Leah specializes treating trauma but also she, she specializes treating medical trauma. So she's a specialized, <laughs> doubly specialized therapist at Claremont Mental Health. Um, so Leah, can you tell me a little bit about why you decided to study medical trauma? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, I think like most therapists, it came from a pretty personal space. Um, my own experience with medical trauma, uh, especially in the women's health arena, uh, you know, I grew up experiencing a lot of medical gaslighting, misdiagnosis, mistreatment, uh, chronic illness and pain. And um, it wasn't until much later in life that it was actually framed up to me as trauma. Uh, which was a pretty big part of my own healing process and kind of got me to where I am today. So I think, you know, the understanding of it being trauma, working through the trauma and recognizing how big of an issue this is and continues to be, especially in post-COVID time, um, kind of fueled that passion. So now I'm here. And I'm so glad that you are <laughs> because a lot of our clients have experienced what we treat clients with complex PTSD, which mm -hmm. means that they have experienced trauma from multiple fronts throughout their lives, throughout their lives. And medical trauma, especially for women, would be an issue that comes up. Now, I'm going to tell you just a really quick, brief story. And I want you to tell me if this is medical trauma or not, because this is this happened to me. And okay. I have medical trauma, but I'm still going to tell it anyway. Um, so I went to the dentist. This was years ago. I, I broke my tooth on a donut. Um, you know, that's just what happens. You break your tooth on a donut um, and go there. Never been there before. And um, they were, you know, shooting Novocaine into my gums without any kind of numbing agent or with any kind of warning whatsoever. Um, and it was like a father and son practice. Um, and I had the son. And while he's working on me, he's talking about going to a professional football game and that, you know, someone puked on him and how he was partying and had such a great time. And the nurse, she cut not nurse, uh, hygienist. Um, she seemed kind of nervous around him a little bit, you know, like <laughs> she's sort of like nervously laughing. It was just like inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, he's 
jabbing me with a needle and not not giving me any kind of heads up or anything so i just at some point i started crying and i kind of pushed him away and i said if you're gonna hurt me like that i need you to tell me that it's gonna hurt and he stopped talking and he said i'll come back when you're feeling better mm. um and i'm crying and the, the hygienist is like I'm so sorry. Are you okay? You know, she's trying to be nice. And then when he comes back in the room, she changes. I noticed that she was very kind and consoling me. But when he came in the room, she would stop. Fast forward, I had to come back mm. for another go around of something. And this time I have the father and he puts his hands in my mouth with no gloves on. And I'm not joking when I say that I could taste his lunch. Oof. So now, whenever I go to the dentist, if there, I can do needles in the arm, I've had surgeries, I'm really not skittish about pain. I have a very, very high pain threshold. Redheads, you know, we have a higher pain threshold than most people. We do. And being a survivor of abuse, I have a very high emotional pain tolerance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when I go to the dentist, I have to have medication if they're going to give me a needle in the gums and I have to have them do it in a specific way that distracts my brain. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I fall to pieces and start crying. And then I say this, it's not you, it's me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So is that a story that sounds like medical trauma? 1000% without a doubt in my mind, you know, there, um, there are so many aspects to medical trauma, you know, it's um, very multifaceted in the sense that there's the the relationship with the doctor, or in that case, with the dentist, um, there's the setting and the surrounding. So your environment, so you think, you know, you're laying on this table, there's bright lights, there's sometimes beeping, and you're hearing conversations about puking and nervous laughter and all of that. Um, there's the actual physical discomfort that you're feeling. So, you know, there are a lot of angles uh, that medical trauma can be present. But, you know, the main thing that I'm hearing when you talk about that is the lack of consent, right? So you were in a position where you were essentially, you know, restrained, right? Like you have to lay still in this spot um, while somebody is inflicting pain on you. That is torture. That is, that is a tactic for torture. Um, in this setting, what makes it so confusing is the fact that the person that is performing that is put in place to help you. So it's very conflicting to our brains to be thinking, well, this person is somebody that I, I sought out that is treating me for a medical condition. They are in place and trained to take care of me and to help me. But my fight or flight is on right now because they are also causing me a great deal of distress and it's it's a really confusing place to be in so it makes sense that now in that type of setting there are certain things that you need to put in place to feel comfortable and i have read that there's research showing that trauma survivors are often more traumatized by the fact that people don't care or that no one stepped in to rescue 
and that that winds up being the most impactful thing. And I would say that in that situation for me too, it was that I'm clearly upset. It's obvious that you're hurting me and you don't even care at all. In fact, you're making it seem like that I'm the problem. You know, when you, when you feel better, I'll be back. Very patronizing as if I'm a hysterical female who's just, you know, moody or on my period or some shit, you know? Yeah. So that, that is traumatizing too, I guess, is when these people are supposed to be helping you. They have access to you while you're in a vulnerable state and then they're cold hearted as fuck. And you know, very sort of, uh, you know, shutting you down with your emotional self. Um, then and I'm not going to talk about myself this whole video, but during COVID, I had to get a test. This was before we had the tests at home mm -hmm. and I went to an urgent care. This is how the trauma comes back up, right? Yeah. And she says, I'm going to put this in your nose. She did not tell me that she was going to jam it up into my brain. Mm -hmm. uh, it was so painful and I was pushing the woman off of me and she kept going. Mm. I would go stop, stop. And she yeah. kept going. Yeah. Um, and I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed the whole way home in the car to my husband. I'm like, the part that really got me was when I told her to stop and she wouldn't, you yeah. know, like, holy shit. Um, so we have trauma responses to this, right? We have fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Sometimes it's fight. So I took to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> if you have PTSD, this place is not trauma informed. Do not get yeah. your COVID test here. Um, anyhow. Okay. So we know what medical trauma is. Yes. Describe the kind of environment and the um, behaviors that take place, why it feels the way that it feels. It's torture. <laughs> Can I also just point out that it's different for women? I know I said it three times already, but it is different for women. It I'm is. talking to my husband about vasectomy versus tubal ligation. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> man. No way. No way. No yeah. way. But when I looked into what it takes to do that now, it's very easy, non-invasive. You can be doing something one day, two days later, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. That's not what my experience at the down there is like when I go to the doctor. Yeah. Um, it's not like advanced and simple, easy, you know, it's lay there and take it. And we're using the same tools we've been using for 20 years and we don't really have any more information than we had 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we have more complicated parts um, and functions of the body. Yeah. Um, and then of course, women tend to have trauma, uh, unfortunately, walking yeah. into the office with pre-existing trauma. Tell me, so in my situation, I had not experienced that kind of thing before. But if I had, what, mm -hmm. what would that be like for me? You know, like with the, the testing of the of the COVID thing, I was hypersensitive at that point. But let's yeah. say you have, you know, medical trauma and now you're walking into a medical setting. What are the typical things that are going to come up within a person when they try to go and get medical help? 
It's a great question. So I think the the first thing I want to point out is like kudos to you for going into a medical setting. Because I think one of the things that we see most often is if you've experienced medical trauma, your tendency is to lean along the line of medical avoidance. So you're just going to avoid care, um, which is not what we want. Because, you know, as much as in this realm, we have a love-hate relationship with doctors, we still need them to take care of us. And so um, you know, if you're finding yourself experiencing medical trauma and working towards entering back into a doctor's office, you know, you could be experiencing a lot of physical sensations. So you've got the nervous stomach, kind of that pit in your stomach. You could be shaking. You could be having panic attacks, sweating. Um, you know, there could be difficulty with vision even, you know, depending on, you know, the the type of trauma you experienced and where it was in your body, there could be, you know, some flares associated with with that as well. Um, you know, I know for myself personally, when it comes to medical trauma, if I have a doctor's appointment, my schedule's got to be clear that day because I need to have time before and after to make sure that, you know, going into it, I know I'm going to be in risk wreck and I need to be able to have time and space to kind of clear my mind and, and, you know, focus on finding my peace. And then afterwards there's going to be a crash and I need to be able to just rest my body and, and relax. Um, so, you know, it's pretty dependent on what your specific experience was, but I think in general, there's, there's a lot of physical anxiety symptoms that can be associated with walking back in. And those physical anxiety symptoms are often difficult to discern between what's medical and what's somatic. And yeah. that's where we get mischaracterized right there, isn't it? I mean, Absolutely. isn't that part of the issue is that they're not willing to sit with us and figure out what is the thing and what isn't the thing. And then yeah. you're crazy, like, all right, I guess I was just making it up, you know? Yeah. So yeah. What do we call that gaslighting i guess right medical gaslighting can you tell me about medical gaslighting i love this term it's fantastic i've been experiencing it for years i didn't yeah. know what it was but that's that feeling it's like you know you're walking out of the place and you think what happened yep what happened i you you just get shut down by yeah. them talking you out of your own perceptions right tell me about medical gaslighting so medical gaslighting is exactly what it sounds like. Um, it is, you know, being disregarded, um, dismissed, you know, being told that your your symptoms are all in your head, um, you know, essentially feeling judged by your medical provider. So, um, you know, it can take a lot of forms. It can look a lot of different ways. Uh, there can be, you know, being interrupted while you're trying to talk. There can be um, moments of feeling like um, you're you're just being dismissed in general and being belittled in that experience and in what you're talking about. There can be moments of simply not even being allowed to speak and being completely shut down. Uh, I think the one that most people, mostly women, resonate with is the notion that you're being told that your symptoms are all in your head. Uh, and with that, it's it's being told that your symptoms are in your head and then not being given a mental health referral or a mental health screening, right? So it becomes a bucket uh, and a way to essentially tell somebody that they're crazy and you don't have time for them, which I mean, is a tangent that I could go on for a million reasons, right? Like 
yeah, you might, there might be a mental health component there. And that just is not a way to give a mental health diagnosis. That's not how you tell somebody that they have a mental health diagnosis. Uh, but also, if you are experiencing physical symptoms, the chances of you experiencing a mental health component, pretty high, right? You know, if you have chronic illness, chronic pain, um, or anything really, the chance of you feeling, you know, a little anxious about it or depressed about it or any number of things is probably pretty common. The two are very connected. Uh, but what we run into in the medical setting a lot is that the focus is so much on the physical body that we forget about the mental health component as well. So mental health uh, in that space essentially becomes a mockery. And, you know, all we're doing in that moment is adding to the stigma and making people feel like the two can't coexist. Man. I know. It's up. a real bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer. Um, and then, you know, you gotta gotta think about like the culture of where they're working. Yeah. And you know, how they're trained to work in that environment. Yes. So and how they're not corrected either necessarily. Um, and then so it's a very low empathy culture, essentially. It is. And you know, I think you know, women certainly have it worse. I think we've talked about this before, especially in our line of work, but, you know, women, women are more likely to be misdiagnosed or gaslit into thinking that it's all in their head. Um, you know, I think I, I had written in my notes that, um, where was it? Women are twice as likely as men to be given a mental health diagnosis when their symptoms are consistent with heart disease. And the reason is, you know, this can be this can be traced back. Women aren't in the curriculum. There is the there is not proper representation in medical school education for women or for, you know, anybody that's not a white male, essentially. Um, and so if if they're not being studied, if they're not being talked about, then they're not going to be treated. Okay, now next topic, which mm. I gotta spin around in my chair because I'm like <laughs> medical narcissism. <Yes>. Go. <laughs> so medical narcissism and medical gaslighting, they go hand in hand, right? Um, so you know, I think some people have heard of this, but the the white lab coat syndrome or you know what that's called, but doctors um I'll put it bluntly, they are in a position of power, right? You are walking into their office, you are vulnerable, you are scared, you are anxious, um, and they know that, right? Uh, and they are very focused on maintaining their position, maintaining their stature, maintaining their authority. And anything that threatens that is very scary to them. Um, and so they will do what they need to do to make themselves look good and make you leave is what that comes down to. And stop asking questions. Yep. And yeah. Stop asking. Yeah. 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 Shut um, you down and get you out the door. Yeah, so I think cover their ass. Right. A lot of times I think what um, the difference between 
kind of a, a narcissistic doctor, so medical narcissism, and you know, one of the good ones, one of the empathetic ones, one of the ones that's in the field to do the work to help the people, right? One of the biggest differences is how they view appointments. So I think oftentimes a doctor that you know is exhibiting narcissistic tendencies views appointments as a paycheck, right? Get as many in as you can and cash those bills and go off on your yacht versus somebody that's there to do the work is going to sit down and take time with you. And they're going to try to figure out what's going on. They're going to listen to you. They're going to work with you. They're going to be your teammate and not your superior. Um, but, you know, you got to sometimes weed through the bad to find to find one of those good ones. But it's it is, you know, narcissism is a obviously a heavy topic and something that we work a great deal in. And it is very prevalent in the medical space as well. Yeah, I mean, and then if you have limited resources, yeah, if you don't have insurance, yeah, you don't have the luxury of shopping for a new doctor necessarily. Yeah. You know, um, you, you don't have the luxury of of going to a private practice where it's out of pocket only. Um, yeah. So you're when you don't have the the financial means, yeah. it can make it even worse. Yeah. Um, or if you don't have the means of transportation to get to the place that you need to go, it can it can cause problems. So that's where the intersectionality comes in. You know, you mentioned that, you know, the, the, the research and the subjects of medical research over the years is usually about men. Um, and so therefore, the system in itself is imbalanced. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to do more videos about medical trauma, Leah and I. So when you see those come out, we're going to talk more about solutions then. Right now, we're just kind of defining it and describing it. But later in a different video, we're going to tell you what you can do about this. But I'm going to tell you right now that I did find a doctor that was empathetic and that did take the time to talk to me and to treat me like a human being and, and not just talk to me. Talk to me like a peer in terms of being human and in my capacity to understand things. He talks to me like I'm intelligent and that whatever he knows, I could likely know as well if I had the same training he did. Um, he does not make me feel crazy when I'm saying to him things like, I'm feeling this feeling. I don't know if it's real or not. I just need you to check it out and make sure that I'm okay so that I can relax a little bit more. And he will go with me through those things and will, you know, explore um, issues. He will, he has like a sense of curiosity about him. He's interested. So there's things you can look for in medical professionals. If you have the, the privilege of being able to try different things, um, then you would want to curate your care team and yeah. make sure that these people are people that actually see you with respect and treat you with respect and that they truly care about your well-being and give you time to say the things you need to say. They ask questions out of curiosity. Um, so they are out there. And mine is Dr. Rose 
at Observatory Primary Care. If you live in Cincinnati, if you're a survivor of abuse or if you have PTSD, he is trauma-informed. And I don't even care that I'm telling people about him. <laughs> I already have my spot. <laughs> I'm already a patient. <laughs> but I, I tell people about him all the time because I want them to know that there are doctors out there that don't treat you like crap. It's just a matter of having the resources, having the privilege of being able to find that person. So, yeah. so Leah, medical narcissism, narcissism um, and narcissistic abuse, you know, our practice, we focus on helping clients recover from narcissistic abuse. Yeah. So that means if you are a survivor of medical trauma, you mm -hmm. fall within that category because essentially medical trauma is a form of narcissistic abuse. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, specifically if we're talking about the medical gaslighting piece, right? So, you know, there are forms of medical trauma that are more related to, um, say, like a life-altering or life-threatening diagnosis. Like that can be medically traumatic. Yes. Um, or say, um, you know, you experienced a, a medical emergency, you had a heart attack. That can be considered a medical trauma as well. Um, but if we're talking about that medical gaslighting piece um, being disregarded, being dismissed, being told that it's all in your head, 1000% that falls in the same bucket. Okay, so this is important. The, so there's medical trauma that exists just as a result of things that happen medically. Yep. You know, something can happen that's traumatic that is completely separate from the interpersonal dynamic with the staff and the doctors and, and yeah. the system itself. It's just mm -hmm. you, you lost your leg or you were in a car accident or something terrible happened like that. That's trauma in itself. Correct. But with medical trauma that we are discussing, yeah. we're talking about the interpersonal elements that lead to a sort of form of narcissistic abuse, yeah. um, the psychological and emotional component here, that the mm -hmm. mind-body connection between mm -hmm. trauma and medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. So there's there's what happens to us in those traumatic events, and mm -hmm. then there's how we're treated on an interpersonal yeah. level. Okay. And oftentimes the two intersect, right? You get a life-altering diagnosis and it's given to you by a doctor that doesn't have empathy. So the two kind of go together, right? Or you receive a you receive that life altering diagnosis, and then your follow up care is dismissive. Um, and so oftentimes we see them together. Um, and you know we'll talk about this later in our future videos, kind of how it how it kind of manifests itself and the different levels associated with it. But if we're talking, you know that that interpersonal relationship with a medical staff or a medical provider. Um, and you are being dismissed and told that there's nothing wrong with you, um, then yeah, we're looking at narcissistic abuse. Leah, thank you so much for doing this video with me. And I can't wait to do more. I know that this is a topic that our clients are going to be really interested in. Um, so we'll do it again and we'll get down further into the nitty gritty of it. Awesome. I can't wait. If you like this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review. Find Mandy Friedman, LPCC, CCDVC on YouTube and Facebook. Join the SNAP Survivors of Narcissistic and Abusive Personalities Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at The Official Snap. Thanks for listening.